Peter is going to say some things today that we got to figure out what to do with. Wives, be subject to your husbands, be respectful to your husbands, do not braid your hair, do not wear jewelry, do not wear fancy clothes. Obey your husbands like Sarah, who called him Lord. Do not fear anything, and you are the weaker vessel compared to your husband. we got to do something with this. These are all things that Peter tells women in the church. I think the first place to start to help us understand our text this morning is to make sure we understand the cultural context in which Peter is writing. I have mentioned this before in another message, but I think it's important for us to understand the backdrop of this passage. It was a Greco-Roman society, and they had very specific views and ideas about men and women. For instance, Zeus made Pandora, the first woman. in order to punish man because he wanted fire. So, Zeus and the gods made mortal women to be morally, physically, and emotionally weak, their bodies imperfect and mutilated compared to the perfection of man. That is the view in the Greco-Roman society that comes behind this passage. As a result, marriage was viewed as a necessary evil. Husbands did not have to be faithful to their wives, even though wives had to be faithful to their husbands. Men could divorce their wives for any reason. Wives could not divorce their husbands at all. Women were completely dependent upon man and basically had the same rights as children. Women were not educated highly. They could not work in society and they were to stay home and be priestesses to the gods. Which meant that any time Rome was in danger, it was the fault of the priestesses to the gods in the home. So if Rome wasn't going well, guess whose fault it was? Women. They were to be spiritually blamed. This is the context in which Peter is writing. This is the way that society looks and regards the wives of that day. Now, I think we see a a similarity between the three passages about submission. All right? If you've been with us, you know that we talked first about submission that all Christians have to the government. And that doesn't mean that the government has to be godly in order for you to to submit to it. So all Christians have to submit to the government, even if that government isn't godly. And then all Christian slaves had to submit to their masters, even if they were treated unjustly. And now, wives are to submit to their husbands even if those husbands are not believers in Jesus. There is a similarity between these three submissions, okay? There was nothing 
about the small group of Christians that could change their government. There was nothing about the Christian slaves that could change the the situation of slavery in Rome. And there was nothing about wives that could change the situation that they found themselves in when it came to their marriages. So Peter is being pastoral once again, helping the Christian wives in the body of Christ understand how to live in the society in which they find themselves in. So I want to read once again 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 7. And then we'll look at the instructions to wives and the instructions to husbands, even though, by the way, wives get six verses, the husbands get one verse. Now you can look at that and say, well, is that because he thinks there's more responsibility on the wives than there are the husbands in marriage? No, it is that the wives find themselves in a much more difficult situation. So he's, he gives more to the wives because the wives need more as a pastor to help them along in the situation that they're in. But he also gives plenty to the Christian husbands in one verse, as we'll see. Verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's sight. In God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understandable way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Instructions to wives in these first six verses who find themselves in a society where being a wife is a struggle. Now, I know all of you wives are saying, well, it's a struggle today too, just as much as it <laughs> All I'm saying is there was a, a culture in which wives were not esteemed at all. And a Christian wife who finds herself in a situation where her husband is an unbeliever and may not treat her well and has the view of her that the Greco-Roman society has, They're, she's finding herself in a very difficult situation. You understand this with me? This is tough. Remember, marriage was a necessary evil. That's how these wives were viewed. The first thing I want you to see is this submission that Peter talks about, the, the wife's submission. And he starts off by saying, likewise, likewise. What was the ultimate reason why Christians were to submit to the government for the Lord's sake? Do you remember this? Christians are to submit to the government for the Lord's sake. What was the way that the, sl the slave, Christian slaves were supposed to submit to their masters with respect and fear of the Lord. Likewise, wives. With respect and fear of the Lord, and for the Lord's sake, submit to your husbands. 
This is the motivations that wives are to submit to their husbands. That Christian wives would submit for the glory of Jesus and following the example of Jesus going through difficult and hard times. Of course, in the ESV, it does not say submission. It says be subject. It could be translated submit yourself. Likewise, submit yourself to your husbands. Now, we've already looked at this two different times when in submission. Submission is something that Peter is saying you do to yourself. Do not wait to be forced. Do not wait to be coerced. You are to submit yourself willingly. Do this willingly. Here, submitting yourself willingly without being forced to your husband's leadership and guidance. But not blindly. Just like we said with governments, we don't blindly submit to our government and say, whatever the government says, it doesn't matter whether they're telling me to do something right or wrong, I'm just going to go with it and I'm going to do it. No. We submit to the government as we can as long as they're not requiring something of us that is ungodly. Christian slaves, submit to your masters willingly. Subject yourself willingly, but not blindly, not as, as if they are telling you to do something sinful. Can you just go along with it? Wives, submit to your husbands, but not blindly as if you have to do whatever your husband says, whether it is right or wrong. So submit yourself. Do so willingly, but not blindly. And then Peter makes this very clear. And this is so very important. Wives, be subject or submit yourself to your own husband. Now, I want to talk a minute about this because there has been some very bad biblical teaching, unbiblical teaching, in churches about the roles of women and men. Wives... You do not have to submit. Women, you do not have to submit to men. Let me say that again. Women do not have to submit to men. It's not as if a man has authority over a woman because he is a man and you are a woman. That's not true. You are to submit to your own husband. Okay? No one in this room... No man in this room can demand that my wife submit to you because you are a man. And I am, listen, I am not a fighter. I'm a lover, guys. At my heart, I'm a lover. But don't try me by a man coming up to my wife and demanding that my wife submit to you because you're a man and she's a woman. Then, you know, it's not going to go real well. I mean, I may get beat up, but I will fight dirty. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Wives submit to your own husbands. Now, we can have conversations about all women are supposed to submit to the government. If that government official is a man, then guess what? You have to submit, right? Um, elders in a church. Elders are men. If the, if the women in the church, uh, they have to submit to their pastors, to their elders. But it's not about you're a man and a man demands that women be submissive to them because that's not how this works. And that is not what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, wives, submit to your own husbands, not other husbands. 
not other men, to your own husband. Now, this submission was very, very important. Okay, listen to me. In order to prevent antagonism in the home and outside of the home toward the wife, this submission was very important in this culture. In Roman, Greek, Greco-Roman culture, wives were supposed to have the same gods as their husband. Now you got a Christian believer married to a pagan man. You see the antagonism that could arise? Where somebody outside the home says to the husband, wait a minute, you mean you're letting your wife worship a God you don't worship? That's not how this works. It could be seen as rebellion to the husband just to follow Jesus. The husband could see it this way and the outside community could see it this way. Also, wives were not allowed to have friends outside of the husband's friends. So you couldn't have, in the Greco-Roman culture, you couldn't have a group of friends that weren't your husband's friends. Well, now you've got a Christian believer who's getting up on Sunday morning and leaving her home and going and, and having fellowship with a bunch of people that her husband does not know. All of this is very problematic, and all of this could, could cause a lot of antagonism. That is why Peter is saying, but listen, if you, if you submit yourself to your husband... And make it very clear that you are not trying to rebel against him. You're not trying to cause problems in the home. Your, your intent isn't to, to rile things up. So this, was, this submission was very, very important in this context. And here's why. Because the goal, the desired goal of this submission is to win over this pagan husband to Jesus. So if you're following Jesus and then you're coming home and causing chaos and, and the situation in the home is so volatile because it, it, the, the rebellion that is being seen and then on top of that, you're throwing like you know, gasoline on the fire, that's going to be problematic. You're never going to win him over. And so here's what he says. He, he goes on, Peter goes on to say, listen, it may be that without a word, your husband could be one. By the respectful and pure conduct of the wife. Now follow me here because this is important. You don't win over your husband, Peter is saying, by being contentious. You don't win over your husband by being argumentative. You're not going to win over your husband by debate. That is not how a Greco-Roman society would work. In fact, it was against... Culture for wives to instruct their husbands on anything. So a wife, a Christian wife couldn't just walk in to her unbelieving pagan husband and say, let me tell you about Jesus and instruct you on why your beliefs are wrong. It's not going to work. And as a pastor, having a pastoral heart, Peter's trying to help these wives understand, here's how you are, can have influence in your home. Here's how you can win over your husband. That's why he says without a word. Does he mean you don't get to talk? No. He's not saying you don't get to talk to your husband. What if your husband starts asking questions about Jesus? What if he, what if he asks and he, he wants to know? But what he's getting at is 
the way that you're going to have to live inside of this home as a believer with a Greco-Roman pagan husband is you are going to have to submit to him with respect and fear of the Lord. And you're going to have to have a, a spirit about you that is quiet and gentle, not contentious and debating and, and trying to win him over with force. You're to come in and with pure and respectful conduct, let him know that your life is different. Demonstrating a sanctified life is what gave you a chance to win your husband over. That's what Peter's trying to drive at here. Does that make sense? That's what Peter's driving at here. Then he starts talking about Christian beauty. He moves on to discuss. He talks about this, this conduct, right? And so he's going to get very specific and he's going to say, listen, there's a kind of beauty I want you to have. Now, the Greco-Roman society did have some virtues that overlapped with Christian virtues. We talked about that when we talked about the government, right? There, there's overlap between good. The Greco-Roman society did have some good virtues for women that did line up with Christianity. Philosophers, Greek philosophers actually wrote about this. There is some overlap here. Peter says, do not let your adorning be external. And then he mentions three things, braiding your hair, wearing jewelry, and wearing expensive clothes. Now, if we take that and we just, out of context, pull it out and lay it on top of you, a lot of women in this church are in trouble this morning. Right? So I don't think any of you think it is sinful to wear jewelry. And I don't think any of you think it is sinful to braid your hair. So what is Peter getting at? Why, why is Peter saying what he's saying in this way? In this culture, again, you've got to understand who he, the people he's writing to. In this culture, outward adornment like this, braiding your hair, wearing jewelry, wearing expensive clothes, putting on cosmetics... This was a sign that you were available sexually and romantically, and it was considered seductive. So, women who were available dressed like this. Not women who stayed in the home and worked in the home and loved their children and uh, loved their husband. They didn't dress like this. So... Peter's words make sense if you understand that if a wife was going to leave her home and go worship Jesus without her husband and then adorned herself this way, you see the problem that would be? I'm waking up on Sunday mornings. I'm leaving my husband. I'm walking out of my home, out of my husband, and into a culture where if I'm putting on fancy clothes and braiding my hair and putting on cosmetics and putting on jewelry, I am saying to this world as I walk out my door, I am avail available romantically and sexually and I am seductive. So when Peter says, wives, don't adorn yourselves that way, it's another way of her being a witness to her husband. It's, it's to let her husband know, I am truly going to worship. I'm not leaving here to, to be rebellious to you or to, I'm leaving here in a, in a spirit of submission and humbleness, but I've got to go worship my God. 
But I'm going to make sure that you understand the, the, the nature by which I'm leaving and going to do this. Now, that doesn't apply today, does it? When you leave your home and you put on a dress and you braid your hair and you put on jewelry, that doesn't, this society doesn't go, oh my gosh, that woman is available romantically. That's not the society in which we live in. Right? So this, this specifics, the specifics he's giving, braiding the hair, wearing the jewelry, you know, that kind of thing, is specific to this culture. Now, the principle that he's laying out is true for everyone. Because here's what he then says after that. But let your adornment, verse 4, be, hid, be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty and a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Instead of adorning yourself externally, Peter wants these women to adorn themselves with imperishable beauty of the heart. This applies to all of the women. In fact, it applies to men as well. Nothing wrong with doing your hair. Putting on jewelry. Nothing wrong with putting on a, a, a nice, nice attire to, to go out to dinner or to go to church or to, to leave your home. But what Peter is driving at is this. You need to make sure that you spend way more time on the beauty that really matters. Because the other stuff fades. The other stuff goes away. And the thing that really matters is the conduct and the beauty of your heart. That's what really matters. That's where the weight needs to be put. Don't live for the applause of the world around you. Don't adorn yourself so that the world around you applauds you and thinks you're great. Live in such a way. Do the things. Have the kind of heart that God applauds. And that God thinks is beautiful. That's what he's driving at here. So in context, he gives, gets very specific. Don't braid your hair. Don't wear jewelry. Don't wear expensive clothes. Because in this society, that's going to be a problem if you leave the home. The principle is true for everybody. When we neglect the matters of the heart and we start giving more weight to the external those things that we find, that the world finds beautiful, we're missing it. In God's sight, this is very precious. And notice it says that a woman should have a gentle and quiet spirit. As a side note, a gentle and quiet spirit. It doesn't say that she has to be quiet. I mean, even the example that he's going to give in a minute with Sarah, Sarah wasn't a quiet woman. Sarah wasn't this woman that just walked around and didn't say anything unless her husband said, you may talk. I wasn't Sarah with Abraham. It, it's getting at the, uh, again, another heart issue. Are you contentious? Are you argumentative? Um, are you attacking? Are, it, it's getting things that would be opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> That's what he's getting at here. That's the kind of spirit you need to have doesn't mean you have to be quiet. 
means that's the kind of spirit you need to be having. All of these things in God's sight are very, very precious. And then he gives a historical example. He says, for this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. He's talking about Old Testament. And he's saying, listen, this is what Old Testament women found beautiful. This is what God found beautiful as wives submitted to their own husbands and loved them and respected them and and followed their guidance. He's drawing upon the tradition of Old Testament women who were role models for Jewish wives. The ultimate role model was Sarah. If Abraham was the father of the, the nation of Israel, who was the first lady? Sarah was, right? And so, and we have this story of Sarah being submissive and even calling, even referring to Abraham as her Lord. Now, she didn't call him Lord to her face that we have written down, but she referred to him as my Lord. This is a, a sign of submission. And so he's giving a, a role model here, the, the mother of Israel, the first lady of Israel. She was so virtuous, virtuous, and, and it was understood that she had love and, and support for her husband and submitted to her husband that all of Israel already held her up as a role model. And so what he's doing is he is giving a role model that is different than the role models of the Greco-Roman society. They had what a virtuous woman looked like too. They had, they had pictures of what it meant to be a woman too. And Peter's just giving them a better example. He's saying, here's the kind of woman you want to be like. These godly Christian women in Peter's day would follow in the footsteps of Sarah, doing what is right, not giving way to the kind of fear that results in hatred and hostility in the home. So Christian women married to unbelieving men are not to despise and reject their husbands because they're unbelievers. No, the very opposite. If you despise and rejected your husband, you're going to make your home a, a place of hostility. But instead, they are to submit themselves to their husbands, even under unjust treatment. Submit themselves to their husbands. Live in humility. Then he gives instructions to Christian husbands. It's interesting, this one verse that he gives to husbands is really still about the wives. Remember, men had the highest power and highest authority in the society. So to instruct Christian men on how they're to treat their wives in context is very important. Okay? Here's how the Greco-Roman society was saying husbands can treat their wives. And Peter says... I can fix that in one verse. I can fix all that in one verse. First, he says, there's that word again, likewise. Likewise. This refers to exactly the same things that it referred to to the wife, referred to to the slave, and referred to to all Christians. Live with your wife with respect and love for the Lord's sake and for the Lord's glory. Now, if this person was spirit-filled Christian, he could just stop right there in the verse. Right? He could just stop right there and said, here's, here's how I know Rome is telling you you can treat your wife and, and the authority that you have and the way that you can act. But I'm telling you, love your wife with respect for the glory of God, for the sake of Jesus. 
If Christian men treat their wives the way the Roman men treated their wives, there would be no difference. And what kind of testimony is that? A true believer who understands how Jesus treated women will want to treat their wives with respect and love. Let me say that again for all of us. A true believer who understands how Jesus treated women will want to treat their wife with respect and love. And secondly, he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. This could literally be translated to live according to knowledge. Most interpreters believe that Peter is saying that one great way to respect your wife, one great way to love your wife is to learn everything you can about her in order to love and care for her properly. This is, this is a true statement. Men do not understand women. That's just a true statement. Men do not understand women. I think most of the time it is a lack of effort. Men, if you want me to be honest with you, I think most of the time it's we don't understand women because we don't give enough effort. But here's the good news for those of you that are married. Men, you don't have to understand women. You just have to understand a woman, your wife. My job is not to understand all the women. My job is to live my life to try to better understand the woman God has given me. To, to understand what, what motivates her. What, what things does she like? What things does she not like? What, what are her gifts and talents? What are the things that make her unique? What are the, the things that she needs in order to care for her properly? What is, how is she made up? That, that's my, my responsibility is to learn as much as I can according to knowledge, to learn as much as I can about the wife that God has given me so that I can care for her properly. I need to learn how my wife is made. Then he says this in verse 3, and this has caused a lot of trouble. Or this is the third point he says in verse 7. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Peter says, husbands, honor your wives as the weaker vessel. I think at first he means women are in general weaker physically than men. In general. Um, now, there are women that are stronger than some men. Okay, He's making a general statement. I think you can see this if you look at the Olympics. Right, Take the fastest 100 meter runner in for the men and the women, and the men will always win, right? Because in general, men are physically stronger than women are, okay? That is just a, a reality. If you take the best NBA player and the best WNBA player and they play against each other, it's going to be obvious who is the weaker vessel. And, and I think we know this because you remember when Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, Talking about the gospel in uh, this Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven, when he says we have this great treasure in earthen vessels. Vessel is, I think, referring to the physical body. And so he's, he's saying, listen, men, honor your wives as the physical one that is physically weak compared to the men in this society. 
But I think it also drives home the point that we've been talking about this morning. How are women viewed in this society? As weak. He's saying, listen, society is going to view your wife as weak. You honor her. The rest of society is not going to honor her. You honor her. So, so here's what people have done with this passage. This is what's so ridiculous. is people have taken this passage and made it ab- ab- about the negatives about a woman. So they've said things like, you know, women are emotionally weaker than men. Well, that ain't true in my home. I know a lot of men who are emotionally weak in a lot of different ways. Women are morally weaker than men. These are all things that have been taught in Christian churches. They are mentally weaker than men. They are, uh, what did I say, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, morally. This has all been taught. Remember when I told you I wanted to put up clips two weeks, uh, three weeks ago of, of people saying horrible things about government officials from pastors? I also could take clips of pastors who uh, destroy this text and, and berate women from the pulpit because they see weaker vessel and they don't know what they're talking about. And so they say a bunch of horrible things. And they're like, listen, you honor these women because these women, they just, you know, they just don't have it. What Peter is doing is Peter's doing the very opposite with this verse. He's saying, listen, yes, your wives are the weaker physical vessel. And they're also viewed in society as weak. But that's not how we're going to act in the church. We're not going to treat these women and and dishonor them the way society dishonors them. We're going to honor them. We're going to respect them. And we're going to lift them up. We're going to do the very opposite that this society does. And if you think I'm wrong with that interpretation, I think the next thing he says backs up my interpretation because he says, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. So I think, I think my interpretation of When he says weaker vessel, he's really encouraging them to to not view them the way the world views them. Because the very next thing he says is, by the way, they are co-heirs with you in Christ. Remember what he's already said about being an heir? He says in in chapter 1 that we have an imperishable, undefiled, unfading citizenship in heaven. And that applies to every woman in the church as well. And if they are your sisters, I'll go, let me go further than that. If they are queens in the kingdom of God, how dare you treat them poorly? That's what he's saying. If in the kingdom of God, if in the economy of the kingdom of God, these are God's daughters and they are queens, who do you think you are to treat them poorly? Yes, I know the Greco-Roman society is doing that. That's not what we do in the kingdom of God. This has nothing to do with women being weaker spiritually, emotionally, mentally, or or in, in their capabilities. It speaks of their the need for husbands to, to defend their wives because they're the weaker vessel, to, to protect their wives because they're the weaker vessel, and to honor them. 
in a society that sees them as children. And then he says this. So that your prayers may not be hindered. It's a huge warning at the end of this passage to Christian husbands. Men who use their authority to run over women, treat women less than, instead of elevating them and treating them as equals and co-heirs, are going to have their prayers hindered. Now, what does that mean? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm going to give you two ideas. They both, both might be kind of right. Um, here's what I, th- I think he might be getting at. Scripture says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. If you have a husband, a Christian husband, who is not honoring, respecting, and loving his wife, are those two going to be gathered together in the name of Jesus to pray for things in that home? No, they won't. The two will not be together. So that's one way that these prayers could be hindered. You're not going to be able to sit down with your wife and lift up godly, wonderful prayers for your home and for your family and for your church and for your society if you're running over your wife and treating her terribly and not honoring her and then you're like, come on, babe, let's sit down and pray together. It could mean when a husband is not living, loving his wife like this, he is sinning. And sinning people have a hard time praying. He could be just saying, listen, when you are not loving your wife properly, you are living in sin. And people who are living in sin and are rebelling to God are going to have a hard time going to God in intimacy, except to repent. (laughs) You know what I mean? So they both might be true. They, They... Um, I don't know for sure what it means. But at least those are two ideas. And here's how I want to end this morning. I don't want you to see these three submission passages as being separate from one another. He puts them all three together. Submit to government. Submit to masters. Submit to husbands. He puts them all together on purpose. They are connected. Peter, again, being very pastoral, is trying to instruct and to minister to his fellow believers who are in situations that are tough, that can cause serious suffering. And he wants them to live in such a way in those situations that Jesus looks beautiful. If you were to say, Neil, um, what's the basis for these three conversations? I'd go back to chapter 2, verse 12, the last verse before he starts talking about him, where he says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
I think the motivation for why he instructs Christians with the government, Christian slaves with masters, uh, wives with unbelieving husbands is to to let them see. I want you to live in such a way in these situations that and honor God in such a way in these situations that when people speak ill against you, their accusations are just going to fall flat. Because you're living in such a way that you're making Jesus look beautiful. You are honoring the government. You're honoring your, your master. You're honoring your husband in such a way that, yes, I know it's difficult. Yes, I know it's hard. Yes, I know you're in situations because of this society that, that you would never want to place yourself in. But the goal is not to just avoid suffering at all costs. The goal is in those difficult situations, we want to make Jesus look beautiful. That's what we want. For the Lord's sake, that's what we want. So he's writing these passages about submission in order to help them do this. And by the way, do you know what comes right on the heels of of verse 7 that Brother James is going to start talking about next week? Suffering. I don't think he's just all of a sudden talking about suffering. I think he's been talking about suffering when he talks about these three areas of submission. He's talking about suffering there too. Christians in a Roman society were going to suffer. Christian slaves with unbelieving masters were going to suffer. Wives with unbelieving husbands were going to suffer. And and so he's teaching them how to live honorably in the midst of this suffering. Listen, this this series is called Church in the Wild. And I think he's trying to get at, listen, I know that you live in this wild society. And it's hard and it's difficult. But we don't just throw up our hands and say, well, if it's difficult, I quit. No, we, we make Jesus look beautiful in the difficult. And we can learn a lot from this as well. As we desire the very same thing, keeping our conduct in this lost world that we live in, in the society that we live in, keeping our conduct honorable. You find yourself in. In order that you can do good deeds, be seen as one who is a believer and a follower of Jesus so that other people may see that and glorify God. That other, may, other pay, people may, may be changed and may have their lives surrendered to Christ. And even if they don't, on the day of visitation, you will be vindicated. You will be vindicated for, for keeping your eyes on Jesus in the midst of the suffering in the midst of the hardship.